these are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the jetty or extra shirts or sandals or a staff. For the workers is worth his keep. This is the word of the Lord. It's all good. It's all good. Because trust me, we're going a lot further than that. <laughs> so thank you so much for that. Yes, we are indeed. Uh, if, if I wasn't so excited about what's been happening today, I'd possibly have another shot at Pastor Darrell for the 48 verses that we've got to cover this evening. But uh, we're just going to do that as best we can in the time frame we have allocated. So it's going to be a bit of a whirlwind. So um, yeah. We are doing the whole of chapter 10 this evening, so I want you to keep your scriptures open if you can before you, because we will be moving through that, and I want you to be reading on as well. So uh, let's just begin by praying. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for how that speaks to us. And Lord, I pray for open hearts, open minds, whether people are here or at home, everyone who's hearing my voice, Lord, I just pray that they'll want to hear from you. And I pray that they will, Lord. I pray that you'll speak to us clearly this evening. And I pray, Lord, that each of us will receive a challenge in which we want to do something in order to draw closer to you or to be obedient to you, Lord, or to live a life that honours and glorifies you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Up until this point, we've read about the many miracles of Jesus and he has healed all types of illness and sickness. The blind see, the paralysed walk, the demon oppressed are released and he even raised someone from the dead. But that is not his primary concern. His greatest miracle of all is that he can heal the sinner. Jesus came for lost sinners. And every time we hear about Jesus, every time we think about Jesus, we have to think of the fact that he came for sinners. We can never lose sight of that. And when we look at the last few verses of um, chapter 9, the overarching theme is that there is a plentiful harvest. Jesus says... These people are harassed and helpless. The issue in that time is that the leaders had not fulfilled their responsibilities. They were not leading people in the ways of God, but they were contributing to the burdens of these people. Because the Romans, on one hand, were burdening them with all sorts of requirements. But these religious leaders were also putting unreasonable expectations 
unreasonable laws and statutes upon them as well. And Jesus says they just need someone to lead them. They are like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus has compassion on them. And he says to his disciples, they are ready to hear the gospel message. They're ripe for the picking. But the laborers, they are few. There's not enough of them. We need more. And there's a lesson in that. Jesus calls his disciples together to pray for that situation. The fact that there's a harvest that is plentiful and there's no one to go into the harvest. And Jesus says, guys, we need to pray about this. Let's, let's be praying together. And as is often the case, the one who is praying is the one who is commissioned. The one who has a burden laid upon their heart in a certain situation is often the person that God is calling up to do that. And I can tell you, I've seen that again and again, where someone has come to me and said, I really feel burdened for this particular situation. And it has been God who has been empowering and equipping and burdening those people to be the one who actually steps out in faith. And I believe that's exactly what happens in this illustration and example. Jesus calls the disciples to pray. And this passage is referring specifically to the twelve. And it's here that in Matthew they're called apostles for the first time. And it is them that Jesus ultimately sends out into the harvest. The sending of the apostles on a unique and short mission is the first three sets of instruction, I believe, that are contained within the passage of scripture that we're talking about this evening in verses 1 to 15 i believe this is 1 to 15 of chapter 10 i believe jesus provides the instruction to his apostles uh, in verses 16 to 23 i believe jesus provides instruction for all disciples uh, into the future and then i believe he provides instruction for disciples instruction for disciples today in verses 24 to 42 so firstly he has instructions for his apostles we have to appreciate the instructions provided here for the apostles, the apostles are unique. They're for a short-term mission. They're something that is quite out of the ordinary. And much of what Jesus said is simply not applicable to us today. There's certainly principles that we can follow, things we can pick up and look at, but these are very specific instructions for that time. And when we look at it, these instructions are Jesus... These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and into no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And that should be a big clue for us straight up. Jesus has called his disciples to go to the lost sheep of Israel only. This is to fulfill the order God has established for salvation. Israel will be the tool from which salvation will come to the rest of the world. But at this time, they're to go only to Israel. And we know that later on in the Great Commission, which is Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus calls his followers to take his message of salvation to the rest of the world. And Paul says in Romans 1.16 that God's priority or plan of salvation was first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. It also says in Matthew that Jesus has freely given them power and authority over unclean spirits and to cast them out and to heal every disease and sickness. And Jesus says, because this has been freely given to you, you are to do these things without receiving any payment for them. So they are not 
to take any payment at all for the miracles they perform. And I'm not sure about you, but if I had a child who was very sick and dying, and these guys came along and raised from them, raised them to full health, I'd be very appreciative. I'd want to give them something to thank them for what they'd actually done. And I wouldn't care what the cost was if they'd been able to do that for my child. But Jesus is saying, you're not to receive it. Instead, allow God to receive the glory and thanks. Turn people's hearts towards him. I also believe it would have been a way of keeping the disciples focused on what really matters. They weren't doing this because of the generosity of the people or because of what they could receive, the financial gain that would be there. They were doing it again for God's glory and they were going to give glory back to him. This was the training ground in a lot of ways for them. But that doesn't mean these workers are not to be compensated for. This is a verse that a lot of people use to say pastors should not be paid. It's not the case whatsoever. Because what is said straight after this is that you are to acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or stuff, for the labourers deserve their food. And this is a call not to take the extra time to acquire all the provisions required for the particular mission. It is going to be a short, sharp mission anyway. And this is an element of trust that, they will require, that everything that they require will be provided for. And Jesus says the worker deserves his keep. It's a call to accept the hospitality extended to them. And in that day and time, when they walked into a city, they would go to the town square and they would be welcomed into someone's home. That's just the way it worked. And what Jesus is saying to them here is that they are to accept whatever is offered. They're not to look for a better property, a better home than the one that they're welcomed into. They're to rely on others for what they need. That can be a very humbling experience to start with. But it also places responsibility on those being ministered to, to support those ministering to them. So there's a tension between not accepting payment for the ministry they do, but being willing to accept the hospitality extended. And there are some clarifications here also. They are not to hunt out the flashest home, as I've already said, in order to request lodging there. They are to find a worthy person. And this worthy person is someone who has responded favourably to the message of the gospel. And it speaks about a greeting given here. As you enter the house, greet it. This greeting um, would be something like, peace be to this house, as we're told in Luke 10.5. And a house, if a house receives this greeting, they are indicating that they receive the message of the disciples and the disciples themselves. And they are to stay in that household for the duration of their time in that particular house, in, in that particular town, sorry. And the instructions for this short-term unique mission end with this. If anyone will not receive or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet, when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. And these seem like very harsh words to be spoken, and they are. And again, we need to remember that this is a unique, short mission for a very specific group. The preaching of the gospel message to the nation of Israel. They didn't go anywhere else. They just went to the people of Israel. And this message that they gave them is one of promise and hope. And in, the mix, in that as well is this message of condemnation and judgment. It is to the nation 
of Israel. And it was primarily to the nation of Israel that God sent his prophets, all in order to teach them and prepare them for this day, where their promised Messiah would be present with them, proclaiming the good news of salvation. And God's revelation to them, the scriptures they hold pointing to Messiah, makes for an increased accountability for them and responsibility on the part of the nation of Israel. Sodom and Gomorrah, although evil, had not received such messages of instruction constantly. And so rejection of this gospel message will bring greater judgment upon Israel. And this brings us to the second set of instructions. And I believe these instructions are for future disciples. The last few verses of the instructions to the apostles for their short-term mission speaks about the potential of Israel rejecting the message. And remember when Jesus commissions or provides the instructions for sending the disciples, he says in verse 2 that they are to go to the lost sheep of Israel. And this next verse clearly indicates that there's a shift. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And so we've had this change between who the sheep are. Up to this point, the disciples have been told that they are going to the lost sheep of Israel, those who are harassed and helpless. In these instructions, they have been sent as sheep amongst wolves. It's a massive contrast. So why now during this discourse? And the only viable conclusion is that Jesus is dealing with a different subject. He's given the disciples instructions for that short-term mission. Now he's telling them how their long-term mission is going to be. The mission that they're going to take to the rest of the world. And some of the clues we may miss is that here Jesus changes from speaking in the present tense to the future tense. By doing so, he speaks of a mission which is different to the one he's commissioned the disciples for. They've been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. In these instructions, that has changed. They had to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. We'll talk about the them a little bit later on. But remember that in verse 5, they were told to go nowhere near the Gentiles. They're told to go nowhere amongst the Gentiles or Samaritans. And yet here they will be bearing witness before them. As in this section that Jesus begins to teach his followers that they are going to face persecution. Something that hasn't been seen for the disciples during Jesus' earthly ministry and something they're yet to appreciate for Jesus' ministry as well. So in this future time, Jesus tells them that they're to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. It's an interesting contrast, isn't it? But it's important to hold the two of these in tension. At the time, the serpent indicated wisdom, shrewdness and intellectual keenness. And the dove represented simple innocence. And so without this innocence, the serpent becomes crafty and devious. Without the serpent's intellectual keenness, the dove is naive and gullible. And so this is a call to a purity of life which is genuine. It wears no masks. What you see is what you get. And that should be a life that reflects Jesus. And with this new mission comes the warning. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. The followers of Jesus will suffer, and they will suffer at the hands of the Jewish religious leaders. It seems to be a repeat of history with how these leaders historically treated the prophets of old as well. 
What is interesting is to look at the pronoun that's used here. It doesn't say our synagogue or your synagogue. It doesn't even say God's synagogue, but their synagogue. This is the synagogue which belongs to those who oppose Jesus the Messiah. Those who oppose everyone who follows Jesus. And we know reading from Acts, this is exactly what happened to Jesus' disciples. They were first brought before the Jewish officials at the National Council. Then they were later brought before the ruling authorities in Israel. And ultimately, they were brought before the rulers of Rome. And Jesus says here, they'll be brought before these authorities to bear witness to the truth of the gospel message. And we know that they did. And Jesus wants to encourage them in the midst of this that they do not need to worry, do not need to worry about what they're going to say. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. In the future, once Jesus is gone, they will not have to trust their own ability in remembering Jesus' instruction and all that Jesus has said to them. Uh, They will not be speaking in their own strength or power or wisdom. They will be able to depend on and trust in Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit will speak through them. Jesus has said this is the case. So even at the time of writing, when the disciples had not experienced the indwelling power of Holy Spirit, they can trust all that Jesus has said because they know that his word will be fulfilled. So we come to the final instructions and I believe these are instructions for disciples now. And while it is true that the instruction and truths of this section of scripture is true right down all the generations, I believe it is truly significant for us today. Of central importance are these two verses. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? And I believe there's a threefold meaning in these two verses. The first being that we are not above Jesus. And as his disciples, we never will be. He will always be our teacher master. And therefore, as his disciples, we must always remain teachable. We will constantly acknowledge that there is more to learn from him. So we will continue to be his students. The second and third, I believe, are contained in the it is not for the disciple to be like his master. It is enough, sorry, for the disciple to be like his master. I believe the second message contained here is that we are to be like Jesus in mission and call. He came to save sinners and it should be our passion and drive to do the same. And in so doing, we are going to face opposition. We are going to face persecution, which has been true since the time of Jesus' ascension. We are in the last days and we should expect this to happen as it says. How much more? His household, the household of Jesus. We are God's children if we have confessed him as our Lord and Saviour. So we're going to suffer just as our Lord did. But Jesus encourages even us. He says, have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. And we know the charges that were brought against Jesus historically were false. They were unfounded. And when you consider the life that he lived, he lived one of loving people and drawing sinners to God. And if we live for him, 
reaching out for lost sinners as he did, then likewise the charges against us will be false and unfounded. And we have nothing to fear from them. The things that have been covered will be revealed. The hidden things will become known. And I believe this is referring to the truth of who Jesus is. There will come a day when all will know that Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And for those of us who believe in him, we will receive the news with confidence and boldness. But those who denied or suppressed this truth will experience shame, as we're told in 1 John 2, 28. That eternal future has been promised to us and it is secure. We're told, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This is a call for courage. It's a call for hope in the face of persecution. Many will turn away when faced with opposition. They will abandon the mission or sometimes don't even start because of fear. We need to realise the mission we are called to should take priority over everything and everyone else. Even over what may be done to us as believers. Judgment and hell is near. If we are afraid to confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, we are potentially in far greater danger than just physical death. Our call is to continue the mission. Every one of you who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge you before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus continues to warn us, if we follow him as our Lord and Saviour, then we will have conflict. Once we identify with Jesus... We're part of a war. We didn't start it. It has been fought in the spiritual realm for a very long time. Satan declared war on God and he thought he'd won when he'd killed Jesus. But instead, he helped to fulfill God's word and he brought about his own defeat. The war has been won, but the battles are still being fought. Satan couldn't defeat God. So now he comes after God's creation. You and I. And he wants to destroy every follower of Jesus. Families will be divided, as it says here. Son against father, mother against daughter, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. And every other configuration in between. And there comes a warning too. If you turn back from following God because of your love for your mother and father, this passage says you're not worthy of Christ. The call is clear. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. The call is for us to have an eternal perspective, to not look at the fleeting things of this world, but to value all that Jesus promises us when we join him in eternity. And if we are faithful to the call in our lives, then we will be a blessing to others. When we serve Jesus, when we call him Lord and Saviour, we will willingly reach out to others. Our primary desire must be to proclaim the message of salvation to all. We need to have a drive and a commitment to save souls from hell. But we are told 
we will be rewarded on that day. Every act of kindness will be remembered, as it says here, and every act of kindness will be rewarded. Even the simple act of providing a glass of water to someone, a needy person. So what's this mean for us? That, that's a massive overview of this big passage of Scripture. First and, first and foremost, the harvest is plentiful still. The labourers are few still. And the Lord still calls us to pray for labourers to go into the harvest. Will we do that? Will we commit to that prayer? Will we ask God to raise up labourers to go into the harvest and to transform lives, to draw people into his kingdom? Are we willing to acknowledge that that's a call for each and every one of us? When we look at the Great Commission, can we acknowledge that that's what God has called us to? And are we willing to be obedient to him? These aren't my words. These aren't things that I'm just laying upon you. Think back to when Jesus had his disciples pray. And, and yeah, I think it was baited and loaded. But Jesus had his disciples pray for those laborers and then they were raised up to do that work. Can I ask you, what is God laying on your heart right now? What is it that you sense God is wanting? You may not even claim it as your own. You may not even think that he's calling you to do that. But there's things that God lays on our hearts, I believe, each and every one of us. And it's something that we just can't ignore. What is that thing that is God is laying on your heart? And are you willing to take action with that? Are you willing to pray for that thing? And are you willing to step out in faith and be obedient to God to pursue that, whatever it is, and to honour and glorify Him as a result? God calls us into many different fields. I don't know what God is going to call you to do. But I believe He stirs hearts of each of us to answer His call. I believe we're in a stage of new beginnings. We'll talk about that more next week, perhaps. SDBC has changed so much in the time that we've been here, and praise God, it's all good. And I'm so excited about what he's going to do with, through, and around us. But the thing is, we've all got to be willing to commit to him. And some of us may have been living a life that doesn't fully honour and glorify him. Tonight's the night. God's calling you back to himself. And I want to challenge you, if you know there's things in your life that aren't right, if there's things in your life that do not honour and glorify Him, He's calling you back to Him. And He welcomes you with open arms. I'm just asking you to come to Him and confess those sins. I'm asking you to recommit your life to Him. Perhaps there's something you know God has called you to do and you've allowed other things to crowd in and take the rightful place of God again. I think God's asking you to come. Ask his forgiveness. Ask him to renew that call in your life afresh. And I think there's some of us who've got no idea. I think there's some of us who really don't know what God's going to do for us. 
But I do believe God's got a plan and purpose for each and every one. You haven't been brought into the body of STBC for no reason. For those of you who are like that, I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to encourage you. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. They're going to do a couple of songs. As they sing these, especially as it gets towards the end, if you'd like prayer tonight, please come forward. Uh, I love praying for people. And um, when we get heaps of people up the front, there's others who come forward and pray for you. Christian brothers and sisters who love you and are going to celebrate with you as the angels in heaven as well. Think about what God has said to you tonight and please respond. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you, Lord, for this massive passage that we went through this evening. And Lord, I just pray that as you've touched hearts, that people will respond to that, that they'll want to honour you, Lord, in, in recommitting to you, Lord, in asking for forgiveness for the times they haven't honoured and glorified you, and that, Lord, you will begin a work in their lives tonight. Father, I know by power of Holy Spirit you've been doing that, and I just ask for a freedom for those people to acknowledge that and to come to you tonight. We're in your hands, Lord. Continue to do your work, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.